Now, I saw where he, he goes, they're trying to say Russia's the greatest threat. Well, it's not. And you'd think he's going to say China. In fact, <laughs> I think he was going to say China. But then somehow, like, he just got it that that was going to fall flat in the room in the moment. It wasn't quite the right note. And so he goes, I'll tell you who it is. It's them in D.C. And and, and then he, he got the applause and he learned it. And then he repeated the line like, oh, this is it's not Russia. It's not China. It's them. So, yeah, I don't trust the guy either, but I sure do like hearing him talk like that. And then so back to your question about him and DeSantis. Um I think Trump's got a better chance against Biden than DeSantis does. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I think if DeSantis defeats Trump, the Trump voters are going to stay home. Do you really think so? Yeah. Because actually, I, Donald Trump has yeah. quite a cult of personality about him. And for yeah. him, it's all personal and it's all vendetta. And DeSantis is backstabbing him with a dagger and betraying him and daring to get between him and his people in any way means full vendetta. And what is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode 190. And today I finally got the legendary Scott Horton with me. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Well, um, I was telling you off air, but you said save it for the air. Um, yeah. You got a hell of a crew over there, you know, with Pat and Kyle, Connor, Tommy, Dave DeCamp, all those guys. Um, and, and, you know, they're not all for the Institute or Antiwar.com, but, you know, they kind of have a little bit of overlap there. But, yeah, you got a hell of a crew over there, and they're all just like the greatest people, and I talk to them almost every single day. Great. Uh, I'm very happy to hear you say that. I'm very proud of them. They all should be more famous. Yeah. Um, and, hey, don't forget we got – Sheldon Richmond and Jim Bovard and Lori Calhoun, who are all legends in the libertarian movement as well. And then, like you say, we've got this great crew of uh, up-and-coming podcasters and writers. And so, hell yeah, man. Yeah, and um, they've definitely been kind of like go-to people for me. And it's kind of funny because um, I, I want to start like the Middle East stuff, but real quick before we start going down that um, lane, uh, Pat and Dave were kind of like the later on guys after peter schiff kind of gave me a little bit of like a huh something's rotten in the state of denmark when it comes to china like we're hearing all the saber rattling and then i heard dave and um pat talking about a lot i'm like oh so a lot of stuff is bullshit but um i, I want to get to that with you a little bit later um it kind of seems like the middle east has kind of faded from people's eyes and i know like you have matt gates putting a lot of or um forward a lot of like aumf repeals and stuff like that um, what's kind of the latest going on in the Middle East as of late? I know there was something going on with uh, Israel um, striking in Syria, and I think even some stuff in Iran recently. But uh, yeah, what's the latest going on over there? Man, well, okay, so there's a lot. First of all, on those AUMFs, um, they're in regards to two of America's terror wars that are still going on over there. We got troops in, well, 
We got troops in Syria, I guess, like a couple of thousand of them in eastern Syria. And we have, you know, again, probably another couple thousand troops in Iraq. And I believe, I'm probably behind on this, man, but I, I believe they're virtually all up in Kurdistan in Iraq. And I haven't heard of them doing missions against Sunni jihadists there in more than a year. It's possible I missed something, but I think they're basically sitting tight there now. What was left to ISIS is basically, you know, the Shiite security forces seem to have that in hand after Iraq War III. Um, then we're now switching sides in Yemen. Well, let me say we got troops, some, you know, small number of troops, I don't know, hundreds or low thousands in Somalia and in Djibouti, you know, running drone attacks inside Somalia, fighting al-Shabaab there. In Yemen... We've been fighting on the side of the Al-Qaeda terrorists for the last eight years. So you might remember, you know, people always say, oh, Obama, the drone wars, the drone wars. Mm -hmm. The drone wars are nothing compared to his regime change wars, right? The drone wars was narrow targeting of Al-Qaeda fighters in Pakistan and in Yemen. But in that was from 2009 to 15. But in 2015, he switched sides in the war. And he took the side of Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. The guys that bombed the USS Cole and tried to blow up the plane over Detroit on Christmas Day 2009 with the underpants bomb. He took their side against their enemies, the Houthis, because that's what Saudi Arabia wanted. And so that's an absolutely horrible war. That's a thousand times worse than the drone war. Maybe more than that. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. Um and most of them starved to death in a massive, you know, induced famine, this horrible war. That's finally now coming to an end. But then that means we're probably switching sides again, going back to supporting the now Saudi recognized government or soon to be recognized government in the capital city. And now we'll have to go right back to killing the Al Qaeda guys that we've just made a thousand times more powerful. And mind you, when we were bombing them with the drones, that was only making them more and more powerful in the first place. Then taking their side, well, that really helped them. Now we're going to go back to helping them somewhat less by simply bombing them and increasing their recruitment numbers by driving more people into their ranks by bombing innocent civilians around them, which is how it works in Surgeon Matthew. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And then we got special operations forces troops in all across North and West Africa in, you know, what is in part chasing the consequences of Hillary and Obama's war in Libya in 2011 and all the jihadist mess that flowed from there down into Mali and from there into Burkina Faso and Sierra Leone and uh, Niger and Chad and into Nigeria. I mean, Boko Haram was already a problem in Nigeria, but then in, I think, 2013, they went up to Mali and met with the jihadists from Libya who had been the bad guys when they fought with Zarqawi in Iraq War II, and then they became the moderate rebels under Barack Obama, and then they went and became the allies with Boko Haram. I don't think anybody's calling them moderate rebels. Um, from Nigeria, gave them some Bibles and some, well, some, some Qurans and some, uh, and some rifles, you know. Uh, and then so there's, you know, Lake Chad. It's the Lake Chad Basin there. It's kind of a border region between th three or four countries there and from southern Chad, Niger, and uh, Nigeria and whatever. I don't have the most detailed map of that part of Africa in my head, I have to admit. Um, but there's essentially 
certainly what our special operations command considers jihadi menace, you know, metastasizing all over the place. And of course, now there's a competition with the Russians too, where the Wagner group has been in there fighting as mercenaries. I think, you know, it started as they came to help the government of Mali to wrap up the jihadists that America and France had chased from Libya into Mali. And then the French came to get rid of them, but I don't think they were being very successful at it. And now I'm not exactly sure what all advantage the Russians are seeking there, but they've, um, you know, expanded the influence of their of their uh, mercenary forces there and their, you know, ties to African government. So, and and by the way, you know, the military guys, a lot of times, especially kind of lower rank guys who aren't really into public relations, but they're just, you know, military officers, they'll do conferences and things where they really, you know, kind of like the saying out of the mouths of babes or whatever, where they, you know, like a little kid points out some truth. Yeah, like the right. emperor wears no clothes kind of thing. But you, you get that out of the mouths of officers who are sort of out of their depth too. So they go, you know, they, like part of them knows there's cameras pointed at them, but they don't really get it that maybe they shouldn't just say, well, the reason we're in Africa is we're taking the place over and we got to keep it out of the hands of the Chinese. And so <laughs> what we do is we pretend that we're what we're, we're fighting against terrorists and stuff like that. But what we're really doing is we're picking and choosing the governments we like and opposing the ones we don't in, in order to secure these resources. So our mutual friend, uh, oh, sorry, um, our mutual friend, Tommy Sammons had said that uh, in Africa, it seems like America kind of invests in, I, I think he said like energy and then China kind of invests in the infrastructure there. Um, so, and I know that there's been a lot of action kind of going on in Somalia since Biden kind of came the power um are you um what's kind of going on there as of late and what's the deal with uh china and africa because we're, we're being told that they're going to take over the world and i think they point to africa as kind of you know them building that up through you know the belt and road initiative or just these predatory loans yeah well look i mean the deal with somalia is that w bush started bombing the place sending the CIA and special operations forces there in 2001 at the dawn of the terror war. And they started backing these warlords to go and fight, you know, minimal numbers of Al Qaeda guys there. Yeah. And they built up enough of an opposition through their warlordism that they ended up creating a state. They had been in a, in a sense in, in a state of anarchy because of the fall of the communist regime and then in the civil wars of the 1990s, essentially all the different warlords had exhausted themselves. In fact, I'm sure you're probably familiar with sort of the liberal trope that oh, if you think libertarianism works, and you don't, <laughs> why don't you just move to Somalia? Yeah. Well, that comes from a real thing, which was, you know, they're basing that off of some studies by libertarians around the turn of the century in Liberty Magazine and I forget, George Mason University or whatever. Where they said, hey, look, Somalia is actually doing better than ever before. And what had happened essentially was nobody won the Civil War. Everybody lost. And the, even the most powerful warlord only controlled one part of one city or something, right? So there was no one to lord it over everyone. And so it was a de facto free market situation. And their economy started booming. The ports at Kismeo and Mogadishu were, you know, bustling. The cell phone industry was booming, which was a major measure of progress, you know, in the region at the time. Um, 
but then it was America that came and ruined it all. Um, and, and so by supporting these warlords, they were so bad that the people came together and created the Islamic Courts Union, which was a new government just powerful enough to kick them out. And it was, that was in 2005. And then in 2006, W. Bush helped the Ethiopians invade and turn the place upside down. That was when Al-Shabaab was born. Al-Shabaab, that means the youth or the boys. And they've been the smallest, weakest part of the Islamic Courts Union. Their job was to sit there quietly while the older gentlemen figured out what to do or whatever. But once the war started, they're the ones who grabbed the rifles and went to war, right? Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't really until 2012 that they became dependent on Saudi money. But to get the Saudi money, you got to say you love Osama, right? Like an FBI sting. And say you love Osama and you get the bag of money, you know? Um, and so, you know, they always were, you know, guilty of, of using terrorist tactics against civilians and that kind of thing anyway. But they, you know, basically were a local militia. Um, and then, you know, they even ruled Mogadishu for a while. But eventually the American-supported government ended up taking over, you know, I guess the cap, you know, the capital city and, and Kismayo is this other port city further down the coast, but they've had this, you know, long-term insurgency, this Al-Shabaab insurgency kind of, you know, at a low level all along. I don't know that there's been any, you know, major developments on the ground in terms of like advances of Al-Shabaab's power or the state's power or ter in terms of their territory. You know, I'm sure it ebbs and flows a bit. I haven't been watching it as close lately, but um, you know, essentially just like in Afghanistan, it's, it, there's a real parallel to Afghanistan where we built a government that can't really rule the place. It doesn't have domestic legitimacy, it has legitimacy under the so-called international community led by the United States, but mm -hmm. their interests don't coincide with the people of Somalia. In fact, I, I talk about this in the book. There's, they have a word for it. It's uh, I forgot what the hell it is. Dalif Dilip or Dilip Dalif or something, which means a government for a foreign purpose. <laughs> or something, you know, something like that. It's like yeah, slang yeah. for this beachy state that's been foisted on us by this foreign power, right? It has no legitimacy at all. Um and uh and so, you know, at the point where the Americans finally stop backing the thing, it'll probably fall apart. Now, then the question is, does that mean Al-Shabaab's just going to take over the whole country? Eh, maybe for time, but probably not. Mm -hmm. And it, just like in, well, Af in Afghanistan, the, the situation is a bit different here. But um, in one sense, it's the same in that the American war against them is what really drove the, you know, people into their ranks. You know, like if when they were debating whether or not to do the surge in Afghanistan, Robert Pape said, no, if you do the surge, that's what's going to cause the Taliban to win. That's what's going to drive everyone into their into their base and strengthen their cause. And you're going to lose ultimately, as we can see that every step we take, there's counterproductive. Well, st so stop taking them, you know, tread lighter and lighter, not heavier and heavier. So it's the same kind of thing here. The more we fight against them, the more there's an excuse for Al-Shabaab to be the resistance against us. And it's been shown by other scholars on this issue and authors on this issue that in the past, um, I believe it was Bronwyn Bruton from the Council on Foreign Relations who's talked about how um, back in 
uh, what, like the mid 1990s, early to mid 1990s, there was an Al Qaeda like group that tried to stick their head up and see some power in southern Somalia. And the locals just took care of it. Right. Like Al Qaeda guys stick their heads up in Gaza from time to time. And then Hamas just cuts them off, yeah. you know, and just doesn't tolerate that whatsoever. And so, um, you know, I think it's the same kind of thing in Somalia where chances are that the best way to defeat Al-Shabaab would be to just back the hell off and let the locals handle it uh -huh. and deprive them of their public relations you know, campaign that says that they're the only patriots defending the country from the foreign invaders, which we make true for them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and now why are we doing it? I mean, look at the map. It's the Horn of Africa. It's the gate of the Red Sea. But does anybody really think that, uh, you know, some Somali pirates from Somaliland in the north or some Al-Shabaab guys are going to be able to challenge the might of the U.S. Navy or for that matter, any Navy of any actual state in the region to be able to keep the gates of the Red Sea open? I mean, so here's our segue, I guess. You could argue, well, we're keeping China out. Does anybody really think that China wants to take over Somalia <laughs> so that they can close the gates of the Red Sea to commerce? I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. In fact, I'm interested, um, it, it, you know, if you could, and we'll get back to Africa in a second there, but in, in you know, China in Africa. But I'm interested in, you brought up Peter Schiff there, and I don't pay very close attention to him. I'm wondering what it was that he was saying about China that caught your interest there. You were alluding to him, I, I think, kind of not believing the hype about what a threat they are. Is that right? I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Yeah, yeah. So I remember listening to his podcast. Um, I want to say probably like 2019 is when I really started listening to him, and I never miss an episode. But um, he was pointing out the trade deficits and how basically, you know, we send them dollars and then they send us actual goods. So and Donald Trump always saying how, oh, we got to rework these deals because we're getting screwed. I'm like, Who's really making out here? Well, our standard of living goes up because we get free cheap goods, this microphone, some of the guitars in the background, maybe even some of the containers that my you know supplements are in. We get that stuff and then we send them debt. Um, so like to me, that that's not like a good idea. Cool show. I go, what are they doing to us? Selling us cheap <laughs> microphones? Yeah. Right. But uh, basically when he had said that, I'm like, okay, so this kind of seems like a rod or like they're getting the raw into the stick. But for some reason we keep poking them in the eye. And then as, as I started to dig in more and more, um, I actually have a paper that Will Porter's kind of breezing through on my hypothesis with Steve Bannon and some of his dirty money that's kind of getting laundered around there about why the populist right is so hawkish on China. And obviously there's, you know, many different kind of avenues as to where this comes, but it was basically just him, him explaining the economics of it. And then just 
just the more and more you look into it, it's like, why are we worried about China when like they're destitute, they're in horrible conditions, and they're so dependent on the entire world around them? And I really want your perspective on this as well. But um, so like, let's say they do take Taiwan, which is like incredibly difficult for them because I had Zachary Yost on and Joe Solis Mullen, where they both kind of talked about how essentially China would have two times during the year to go for Taiwan. It'd be an amphibious invasion through a really, really rough kind of seascape. And they would get basically blown out of the water because you know the whole West is going to go in to back Taiwan. So let's say they make it to Taiwan. They took over Taiwan. Why would they hoard everything there when they need so much trade from around the world? Like it, it just doesn't make any economic sense for China to hoard the chips and all the stuff that they would potentially get from Taiwan from the rest of the world because they import a lot of their food and stuff from us. It just to me that never made sense. And no populist right wingers even like. Like, go one step ahead in their thoughts about China having this global hegemonic dominance. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing is you'd have to imagine that they think that they can get away with using just force, American style or worse, to force people to continue to export all the raw materials that they need to manufacture all the stuff that they manufacture. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, all the oil that they need, you know, for all their energy resources, they have very few you know domestic oil resources in china okay so, yeah um i don't know much about shift but um you know i'm a student of david stockman and he calls china the china ponzi the whole thing might as well you know alan greenspan is the dictator of china and all he's doing is building up a giant bauble and all it's ever going to do is pop and it's true that look i mean it's a very political economy they can keep inflating and keep inflating i mean i think i think it was um stockman who was writing about that's all the belt and road initiative is right is they keep inflating all this money um in order to put off the consequences of all their previous inflation and all their political <laughs> decisions so then they got to get rid of it somehow mm -hmm. so now they're exporting all that money in the form of you know supposed domestic infrastructure you know built up mm. in these other countries but of course it's all boondoggles it's all a government yeah. program so like anybody who really imagines they're going to build a giant highway and train system from Shanghai to Lisbon has got to account for all the jihadis of jihadistan between, you know, including in Western China yeah. and then all the way through till you get to, you know, Georgia, mm -hmm. Azerbaijan, you know, or something. So, um, you know, that's all, all that is all pipe dream anyway. And as far as, you know, their inroads in Africa, like, what are we talking about? They're developing oil resources and then building pipelines so they can pump that oil and sell it, you know, to themselves and to whoever else on the world market. Big deal. Like, what do we think? You know, this is the, this is the part that really bothers me. Like you're saying, people get stuck at one step and they're not thinking these things through at all. Right. You know, at the end of the Soviet Union, Charles Krauthammer said, this is our unipolar moment. And he said, I got the quote in the new book, I mean, we should settle for nothing less than total domination of the planet. But temporarily, I mean, what are you going to do, dude? North America can't hold down the whole world forever. The point was, now we have a chance from the neoconservative point of view. Now we have a chance to make things our way for the long term. Mm -hmm. 
not that we would rule everything for the long term, but that we would set up the structure of it. Like James Madison writing the Constitution for the republic that would outlive him. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, but then what do they do? They just cynically take advantage. They call it the liberal rules-based world order, but all it is is an aggressive empire. It invades country after country on false pretext after false pretext. Um, you know, wasting all our resources, by the way. And But meanwhile... When they know all along and they acknowledge all along, it's the inescapable fact of like, you know, anybody went to high school anyway, right? That, hey, okay, now that the Soviet Union is gone, world communism is dead. The Chinese had abandoned, you know, actual Marxist economics back years before that, right? So the only place left in the world that's actual, you know, Marxism in practice is Cuba and North Korea in terms of like, um, government ownership of every last bit of business and that kind of thing on the communist model. Um, of course, they have their North Korean characteristics and whatever, but otherwise, communism's essentially abolished from the earth. Well, and, and you know, even in India, they still have a lot of it, but they also, um, you know, have liberalized, you know, property rights and, and, you know, improved their economy in a lot of ways as well. But so, like, if you're the Americans, and your whole point is we beat the commies. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that, Francis Fukuyama says the end of history. We figured it out. Democracy and free markets. And, of course, he means, you know, on Bill Clinton lines, not like libertarianism, you know, mm -hmm. real limited government and self-government and real free markets. But they mean, you know, 1990s era American style capitalism is what they're talking about. But that necessarily means China and India and Brazil and I don't know, whatever other middle rank powers, they're going to gain in wealth and therefore in power. We have a generation before China is really a peer. And so what kind of China will we have as our peer? You know, this is something that always goes unmentioned because it's only one permanent foreign policy establishment in America and they never get fired no matter how bad they screw up. And so when they go, oh my God, Russia and China, they're lying against us. Well, isn't that all of their fault by definition? If USA number one global superpower, hyperpower has ruled unquestionably in our, in our unipolar moment for the last 30 years and this is how it's ended up is everybody hates us and we're completely bankrupt and Russia and China, the Sino-Soviet split is healed and they're back together again and the world is moving away from our currency and we're going down in flames like this. Um, doesn't that mean that they screwed up instead of, well, history began this morning and boy, those tricoms, they sure are mean. Well, but our guys are supposedly the masters of the universe. And somehow it's their diplomacy that's led to this. Why isn't China lining up with America in Ukraine? Why isn't Russia lining up with America in Taiwan? Well, because our government sucks at their job. That's why, okay. right? And I'm not saying I want to pick either of those sides. I'm for total non-interventionism in any of this. But I'm saying by their own standards, this is what they've done with their unipolar moment. They blew their entire wad in Fallujah. <laughs> What'd you get for it, dude? What'd you get for invading Iraq? For toppling Libya and Syria and Yemen? Failed to topple Syria and Yemen. Just killed hundreds of thousands of people in both cases for nothing. What did we get for it? What advantage did America gain for it?
You know, the one and only advantage they were supposedly even after was we get to control the choke point of the Persian Gulf and access to that oil in case we need to cut off China. It was, so the whole Middle East war was all about the Cold War with China anyway. Mm. But our Navy can cut off Chinese oil supplies just by sailing around in the water. What the hell do they need to control any choke points for? How about we'll just threaten to sink any boat that crosses the Strait of Hormuz this week? Mm -hmm. That'll stop traffic right there. Mm -hmm. You don't even need to shoot one rocket. What the hell are we even talking about? Right? Yeah. Um, the whole thing makes no sense. And, um, and so they've completely squandered their power. Now China comes and goes, well, look, we want to pump our own oil out of Africa. And you and I are supposed to panic about this and say, <laughs> see, they're taking yeah. over the planet Earth, right? Now, you know, um, uh, Malawi and Tanzania, you know, next week they'll be in Berlin. And, you know, after that, London and New York. Mm -hmm. And But there's no reason for anyone to fear any of this. And, you know, you look at China itself, you, you talk about Taiwan. I don't know how hard it would be. I read a thing that said maybe they could just lay siege to Taiwan and just tell them, listen, guys, put up our flag. You're part of our we're we're now sending a delegation of civilian officials to assume command and you're going to accept them and just do it like as a fait accompli somehow. You don't really want to fight, do you? Maybe they could. I don't know. All right. But I still think so. What? Taiwan has been part of China since the 1600s. And it's been official American policy for 50 years no. that Beijing is, you know, that it's one country and that Beijing eventually, hopefully peacefully, will be the government of both again. Okay, and so finally, that was after pretending for 30 years. Wait, did I really forget? 396, no, sorry, for 25 years, almost, mm -hmm. they pretended that the government on Taiwan was the real government of all of China. For 20 years after they lost the civil war and did not control mainland China one iota. Mm -hmm. So it took them 20 years to even admit that that was true, <laughs> that, that the other side won the civil war and then to say, okay, well, it is one country, whatever. But so in other words, worst case scenario, they take back Taiwan. What does that mean for Vietnam and for Thailand and for Burma and for Nepal and Myanmar and Pakistan and outer Mongolia and Korea and Japan. Nothing. Nothing. What does that mean for any of China's other neighbors? Nothing. Does anybody think that China's going to invade Vietnam? That China's going to try to topple and, and conquer Thailand? Or, you know, they could get into a border dispute with India. But see, then if America was a limited constitutional republic, we could be hosting a peace conference mm -hmm. where we don't make any <laughs> promises, but we try to figure out where to draw the line in the Himalayas in a place where nobody has to fight over them. I'm here to tell you, if the world goes up in a nuclear war over the line in the Himalayas <laughs> where no people live because they'll completely freeze their balls solid and die. Uh, you know, in a border dispute between India and China there, that will be a tragedy. And, and again, it'll be the failure of the Americans, the supposed rulers of the world since World War II, to figure out how to get these guys to accommodate each other's interests there, you know? Yeah.
Yeah, if uh, if the world did end over a border dispute between India and China, then I, I would think we, we probably deserved it if we couldn't figure out something so infinitesimally small. Now, I know they've had border disputes there, but, um, you know, there have even been, um, from what I understand, some soldiers fighting on the ground, but I don't know how intense that gets. This fight. I think their commander. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think um, with the end of last summer or something. Mm hmm. Um, their commanders ordered everybody to throw down their rifles and they all just had a jump. <laughs> like, thank God they didn't start slaughtering each other, you know? Yeah. And I think if I remember right, the Indians kicked the Chinese butt and then it was like, oh yeah, we'll get you. And, you know, <laughs> We're yeah. run away shaking your fists. So, um, yeah, that could turn into a thermonuclear war real quick. <laughs> so there's supposed to be elections in Taiwan for 2024. And one of the former party leaders of the Kuomintang from uh, Taiwan is supposed to make a delegation over to China. And from what I understand, this is like a very historical event, like the first time in over 60 years, this delegation is supposed to go over. So, um, I'm curious your thoughts. How do you think this plays out for the Hawks in D.C.? Because, you know, Josh Hawley was one of the only people who I think voted no on adding some countries to NATO. But he did it only under the guise like, hey, we need to arm Taiwan. You know, screw Ukraine. We need to go after Taiwan. But now it seems like, you know, the Kuomintang actually has like a decent chance of winning in Taiwan. And Tsai Ing-wen is kind of like, you know, hey, we're a little bit more independent than China would like. But the Kuomintang kind of wants to cool things off but then you also have the biden regime saying that like hey we want ukraine to make a big offensive so that way we start pivoting a little bit more to china um what do you think of all that that's kind of going on there man i i really don't know what is going to happen in those elections or you know enough about the particulars the parties of the polls there but i okay. do think that you know if beijing was smart that they would launch a massive diplomatic offensive to really win friends in taiwan and try to make this issue moot like actually we're moving back together so rapidly here that if, if you sell taiwan all these arms ultimately you're just giving them to us like the taliban <laughs> pal because we're taking taiwan and you know look the people of taiwan are chinese i mean other than the native formosans who were essentially cleansed and persecuted oppressed i don't know how many of them are even left but um you know uh, again, it's we're not talking about the Thai who are different. You know what I mean? A different nationality, a different ethnicity, at least kind of, you know, yeah. Um, you know, separate enough. But in this case, it's just not the case. It's part of China. It always has been. So this is like, you know, California taking back Catalina Island. This <laughs> ought to be easy. Um, so, um, you know, I, 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 really hate to think of what it would be like if there was a real war there and i'm sure there are people in the chinese navy who would like to try it and i'm sure there are americans who would like to try it mm. you know obviously the problem there overriding everything is the presence of thermonuclear weapons right these should mean not just that neither side can ever nuke the other but that we can never fight the other we should never get anything you know the the level of danger that we're in right now, that the percentage increase of the risk and the danger of nuclear war breaking out over Ukraine right now um, in this fight with Russia and Eastern Europe is just absolutely unforgivable for them to be playing with fire like this in, in China too. It's just completely crazy. You know, when they talk about, yeah, we're selling these submarines to Australia we plan on having their new base and the submarines, these nuclear submarines up and operational by 2050. 
And what does that say? They're saying we don't have any plans in the next 25 years to come to a peaceful coexistence with China. We want to have a Cold War with them indefinitely. But I just think, look, it makes sense for some certain institutional interests, but it doesn't make sense for the rest of us. You know, like nobody sue me. I don't know what the truth of this is, but did you hear the news a couple of years ago? They said Listerine causes mouth cancer. The alcohol, you can feel it working. Oh, it's working, but <laughs> yeah, it works too good. And and um, it causes enough damage to your mouth that the healing, you know, an alcohol, I guess, is a carcinogen, you know? Well, so guess what? The company that makes Listerine came out and said, that's not true, right? But the thing is, we don't just listen to them, right? Like, I'm not, I don't know if the study was legit, but I'm just saying, we don't just ask the makers of Listerine whether it's true or not. You know what I mean? We get a secondary or third source to figure out what's really the truth of this because we can expect them to continue to want to sell their product and not find out that they're killing their customers. You know? Well, it's the same thing with the military. You know, the Navy goes, oh, yeah, we can take them. And we have an interest in taking them. We want to take them. You know what we really need? More nuclear submarines and all these things. And somehow we're supposed to go, well, we better listen to the military's advice. Well, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should listen to people who disagree with the military about everything's advice instead. Since the military is wrong about everything. They told George W. Bush that all these wars in the Middle East were going to be easy. And Obama and Trump and Biden. And that wasn't true. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing. You know, the the Navy would like to imagine, that, and the Air Force too, would like to imagine they could have a conventional war with China. And it would be fun. It would be awesome, man. Can you imagine, like, the movie of, you know, we call in all of our um, fighter bombers of all the different descriptions. Do we get the 22s, the 35s, the 16s, and the 15s, and the 18s all out there flying? Do we get the B-1 bombers and the B-2 bombers, the new B-21s? Oh, man, we're going to have a fleet of these B-21s. And we got submarines and aircraft carriers and battle cruisers and all of these things. And we're going to finally get to use them for something fun, like in World War II when we fought the Japanese Navy. Man, that's some exciting footage, ain't it? And and we'll kick their ass too, and it'll be a it'll be great, you know. Um, somebody pointed out that actually the Israelis sold the Chinese our schematics for supersonic sea skimming missiles. <laughs> Oops, they're our best friends, you know, our greatest ally. Now we can't sail our aircraft carriers within F eighteen range of Taiwan because the missiles got longer range than the F 18s do. <laughs> and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So Michelle Flournoy, the cross-eyed idiot who was almost the Secretary of Defense, the former leader of CNAS mm -hmm. and um, major promoter of the Afghan surge, which then she helped to implement as Deputy Secretary of Defense for Policy, which completely failed. Um, she uh, said, well, no, it's cool. What we'll do is we'll just make more B-1 bombers. If we can't uh, sail our ships in there, we'll just make more B-1s. She said our plan should be to sink the entire Chinese Navy in 72 hours. Okay, but if you do that, 
they're going to nuke Washington, D.C. and New York City and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Denver and Houston and Dallas. And then we're going to nuke Shanghai and Wuhan and Beijing and hell, probably Hong Kong and whatever. I don't know all the Chinese cities. And then and then everybody will fire off all their nukes and we'll all be dead over some over Taiwan. Are you kidding me? Like, seriously, ask any. I mean, I've seen them try this before. Ask American hawks to show you Taiwan on a map. They'll circle <laughs> Australia, right? They have no idea. They'll circle China itself. They have no idea what they're talking about. This tiny little island that it quite literally does not matter at all who controls it at all. Oh, when the microchips. Oh, really? Make your own microchips then. I'm in Austin, Texas right now. Advanced micro devices is just down the street from here. That way and that way. Dell is right over there. I know a guy who used to make the semiconductor things at advanced micro devices. Now you're telling me they offshored all that to Taiwan in the last 20 years? Yeah, we'll onshore it again. Mm-hmm. You're telling me I'm supposed to die in a nuclear war for that? Yeah, you don't well- get your microchips if we're all dead in a nuclear war either, dude. You know? <laughs> My contention, stupid. Yeah, my, my whole contention with that is, as I was saying earlier, um, it's not in China's interest to hoard all those chips, even if they did take Taiwan, because they're so dependent on trade and from imports. And all the populist right wingers and a lot of people who buy into the China propaganda will tell you that we're going to see Chinese storming the shores of California. I'm like, what are they going to do? Send a bunch of forty year old malnourished diabetics over here to take over the country? <laughs> Get real. <laughs> The whole thing is completely crazy. And you just have to live in total fantasy land and just not even not even understand the size of a planet Earth and, and of the Pacific Ocean. And like, look, Chinese troop ships cannot get here from there, not without drowning on the way here. Right? We have all the naval capacity we could possibly need to defend our western shores. They wouldn't get anywhere near us. They wouldn't get halfway well, they wouldn't get halfway to Midway. Well, but, but they did They did send a balloon over here, though, and I was told that, that, was that a had... terrifying balloon, I know. <laughs> um, look, I mean, people just... If, if they were going to invade anybody, it would be Outer Mongolia. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Taiwan, but as you're pointing out, geez, that's a pretty tough road to hoe there, you know? Um, if they... If they uh, wanted to fight a war against a weak power with a lot of resources, then they could screw around with, you know, I don't know, any of their neighbors, really. They have no interest in doing that. I mean, people, and you even hear this from the Hawks and they talk about break up China and they'll show you a map of China after we successfully overthrow it and break it up. Where Xinjiang province is its own independent nation of East Turkestan Mm -hmm. and Tibet is its own independent nation of Tibet. And Hong Kong, you know, has sovereignty over whatever part of southern China. And, you know, um, over here is where the Han Chinese will have their, you know, rump state left over. And here will be the, um, uh, what you call it? So I forgot the name. Anyway, the, the uh, what's the other major language other than um, the, uh, there's the two major Chinese language groups. And one of them's in the south there. I don't know. I've. I'm spacing out too. Uh, it's the evening, man. I do better in the mornings. Oh, um, anyway, so, but they're kind of right that look, China's already a massive overextended empire. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they're right that we should break it up, but I'm just saying 
they already have plenty of their own problems just dealing with Tibet and dealing with Xinjiang and, you know, the rest of all of their neighbors. The idea that they're coming to, to Japan, they're going to attack Tokyo and they're going to, what, displace the people of, of Japan and seize their islands? Or, no, they're going to skip Japan and the Philippines and come straight here, <laughs> you know, and they're going to land and, and they're going to land in California where the population of South L.A. can take them without any help from the military whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Right. We're like, dude, uh oh, it's the Crips of Torrance. <laughs> what the hell? Turn and run. Get back on your boat and sail the hell away from this beach right now. Um, they're just, yeah, the whole thing is just completely silly. Um, and look, as you said too, you know, their population's getting older and they've still got a billion people. Uh, and that's a lot, but, um, you know, essentially they have their own problems that mimicking George W. Bush and trying to, you know, blow what wealth they have on building a world empire, you know, couldn't possibly make sense to them as you know, the, the path forward here. I mean, how could it possibly be? They watched the last 20 years, 30 years of American foreign policy and said, that's what we need to do. As soon as the Americans were out of the way, we need to go and invade the Middle East right. and try to take it over. We need to, you know, build up our military alliance in Eastern Europe and decide the fate of Slovakia and Slovenia. <laughs> Why would they do that? Why in the world would they do that? It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. You know? And and you know what though worries me is what you said there about, you know, in the in the Trump years, under the excuse that, you know, they are out to get us so bad, we raise all these tariffs and really disrupt trade. And I don't know all the statistics about like how much trade has decreased overall between America and China, but I know there are a lot of disruptions there. Um, and and trying to, you know get all of our uh, friendly countries in Asia to team up with us against them in a way, you know, I guess it's not really working in trying to do that. What they do though, is they make war more likely because right. what you said about, geez, they can't do that because they're so dependent on all of their foreign trading relationships that if they have a war, it'll cost them too much. But we go ahead and disrupt all those trading relationships first we make it a lot easier for them to say, well, what the hell do we have to lose then? You know? So, look, I, I mean, what can you say, dude? Our government's been run. And I know people say presidents are just figureheads, but I mean this literally and figuratively. Our government has been run by Bill Clinton and W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Joe Biden with, with Joe Biden and John McCain in the wings the whole time too, you know, playing the leaders, the centrist leaders of both parties in the Congress. These are terrible men, just terrible people, all of them. And almost all of them completely stupid. I mean, Barack Obama is the only one who actually like sit and read a book because he feels like it. And he's an absolute scum, a pathological liar, murderer, thief. I mean, he killed a million people as much as George W. Bush did. Mm -hmm. The rest of them couldn't even, well, I guess Bill Clinton reads a book between rapes, you know, but still it's just absolute degenerate filth, you know, complete scum. And I mean, from burning Waco all the way through his entire presidency. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, geez, boy, don't get me started on that. So look, I mean, 
uh, and, and it's not just them, right? But it's all of their men have been them too, right? Who's Madeleine Albright other than Bill Clinton? You know, who's Colin Powell other than W. Bush? You know, um, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State for Barack Obama. Right. Mike Pompeo and John Bolton and Elliot Abrams teamed up with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, these men are all Bill Clinton. All of them, just absolute scum of the earth. And so, yeah, they did everything wrong. Like, why would anybody think well, we're the good guys in any of this? And that the other guys are the aggressors that or that somehow we're Superman. The other guys, Lex Luthor, we're here to save the <laughs> innocent when we're not innocent. And look, I'm from here. But. Again, like. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what if I was from Uruguay, but I watched the news a lot? <laughs> I would have the exact same opinions about what America is doing. Mm -hmm. The fact that I'm from here doesn't really change that at all. They're like, oh, so Bill Clinton, the guy that flew on Jeffrey Epstein's plane to Thailand. He might have read a book there. You tell me he had a counterproductive foreign policy in the Middle East and Eastern Europe and in Asia, too. You know, it was one of the major revolutions in Chinese military affairs came after Bill Clinton went sailing the Seventh Fleet through the Taiwan Strait. And the Chinese were launching off rockets toward Taiwan in a threatening manner. But they had no ability whatsoever at the time to mount a credible threat to Taiwan at all. Bill Clinton goes sailing the Seventh Fleet up and down through there. And then the Chinese had a big meeting. The military had a big meeting. And so, you know, the Navy won the argument in the room, basically, and said they get a bigger share of the money now to build up their naval forces in reaction to American provocations and on down the chain like that. They also, when Bill Clinton bombed their embassy in 1999 in Kosovo and um, in reaction to Iraq War One, where the Americans, at least in their footage, pretended that all of the missiles they fired were these laser-guided, satellite-guided bombs that could go down your chimney and in your window. And the Chinese are like, oh, man, we're really going to have to devote more of our money to military all right, guys, um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. You know, so we didn't have to do any of this stuff. All these are unforced errors. And and look, I mean, I'm old enough that, I, you know, I was a teenager when the Soviet Union fell apart. And then, so we got 10 years to go before the year 2000. 
And then the year 2000 is like this giant milestone, like in the future. What's it going right. to be like after the year 2000? Are we all going to have flying cars, oh. Jetsons, boots, and whatever? Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a lot of, you know, expectation about, you know, from that time, 30 years ago, in the fall of communism, about how how the Americans are going to use their power to set everything up for the beginning of the 21st century and the third millennium, right? And then it was in the hands of Bill Clinton and W. Bush to decide. It was in the hands of Sandy Berger and Scooter Libby to decide. And they ruined everything, you know? They're, again, absolute degenerate scum. You could have found any random, you know, jerk from the sidewalk in your town and put them in there, and they would not have made as poor decisions as these men have made this whole time. Well, you know, I think that's a, a good pivot over to uh, 2024. Now, um, another mutual friend of ours, Adam Fitzgerald, him and I, I think, agree with um, this statement, and he had mentioned that you disagree with it. Um, so let's say, um, in my opinion, I think if Donald Trump runs against Biden, I think he loses. But I think if the GOP picks DeSantis as their front runner, I think DeSantis mops the floor with Biden because he can pull a little bit more of the center than Donald Trump can. And he's a little bit more of a fresh face, a younger face, as um, Reed Coverdale would say, the right wing's Obama. I, I really think that rings true. Um, he is just the worst on Iran and he's issuing another or he's going and visiting Israel again. Um, do you think we could see a hot war with Iran if we see a DeSantis 2024? Well, I mean, I think he is uh, just nothing but W. Bush, as far as I can tell. And they keep telling me he's not Bush a neocon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, W. Bush told Omer no. Yeah. The military, the Pentagon told Bush no. And Bush told the Israelis, no, we're not doing this. Bush is too big. <laughs> and you, you start the war, you can't figure out how to end it. You know, we're not invading. We're not marching our troops into Tehran. So we're going to bomb the hell out of them. But then what? Then they're going to make nukes. You know, the pretext for the war is that they're making nukes, but they're not making nukes. And the Americans know that they're lying about that. If they attack Iran, then they're going to make nukes. And so the status quo has held for, you know, this whole 20 years, despite Ariel Sharon and Ulmer and Netanyahu's insistence that America attack Iran. I think the Pentagon so far has just put their foot down. Now that could change. But you'd have to be willing to lose a hell of a lot of Marines and Army and Special Operations Forces, especially have to invade the country to laze those anti-aircraft sites. And, I mean, they're going to lose thousands and thousands and thousands of guys trying to pull that off. And, and you know, we've got a massive air base in Qatar and a massive naval base in Bahrain. Now, whether Saudi economic targets are still in jeopardy or not, I don't know. It looks like maybe the Saudis are working out a deal. The Chinese have worked out a deal between Saudi and Iran. Maybe they're getting out of the way, trying to, you know, make sure that Iran doesn't retaliate against them in the event of a war. But still, we got, you know, also thousands of troops, tens of thousands of troops in Kuwait. All of those targets up and down the Persian Gulf there from Kuwait down to Oman, all of that is in range of Iranian, you know, short and mid-range rocket fire. Um, and we could lose a lot of guys in a very short amount of time uh, to their retaliation. And there was a time we had 100,000 troops, 130,000 troops in Iraq and 25, 30,000 in Afghanistan who were also at risk. So that's a little bit less, but 
you know, that map that says, why did Iran put their country so close to all our military bases? <laughs> I mean, part of that is that we've put our military bases so close to Iran that we can't really attack them. They're too close. You know, they can hit back. Mm -hmm. So in a way, that's good. In a twisted kind of a way, it helps to prevent the war from breaking out. So whether DeSantis would really break that, I don't know. It, he would have to figure out a way to provoke the Ayatollah into making nukes. Then again, the Ayatollah is old and he survived cancer before. And I mean, he's in, I think, his late 80s now. So, you know, what happens after he dies and, and all of that is a lot is up in the air. I think the Israelis don't really want war with Iran. I think they hate Iran um, for backing Hezbollah. And that's part of uh, what I, I skipped this part of the answer about Syria, why Israel is attacking Syria. They're attacking Syria because Iran is shipping weapons to Hezbollah through Syria, well, and to mm. Syria itself. And so that was the cause of Iraq War II and Syria and all this. All of this comes down to Likud is worried about Hezbollah and Lebanon. So, you know, the clean break policy said if we get rid of Saddam, somehow that will weaken Iran. Well, that didn't work. That only empowered them. Saddam was the Sunni roadblock in the way between Iran, Syria, and Lebanon. So then they said, well, since we empowered Iran and Iraq, now we got to take Assad away from them. And that'll break the chain. Now he's the keystone in the arch of power, of Shiite power there. Well, that didn't work. And that, in fact, only drew Iran to Syria to double down their presence there to help Syria defend themselves from America's bin Ladenite suicide bomber forces there. So that's why we're in Syria now is, you know, when Trump tried to leave, you can find all the headlines. Uh, when Trump tried to leave in 2017 uh, and 18 or 18 and 19, um, and again in 20, he was overruled by the Pentagon. Yeah, it was 18 and 19. And then again, at the end of his presidency in 20, um, he was absolutely overruled by the Pentagon and Israel. And all the headlines said, no, Israel is so upset that Trump wants to leave Syria because now you're leaving us helpless because Iran is going to be able to ship more weapons in. And so by the Americans sitting at that Al-Tanf base, they supposedly, I don't know how, to what degree they really are able to limit Iranian arms transfers in there. I know a lot of them just come in from the air. And that's what you hear a lot is the Israelis bombing the airport in yeah. Damascus. Um, the other day they bombed the airport that they use, that they're using to get the earthquake aid in and it's all in the name and they, they do it constantly. I mean, the Israelis have been bombing Syria. I mean, you might, I don't know what the average is at least a few times a month, maybe on average or once or twice a week or something for years, man. I mean, there's just constant and nobody, you know, in the so-called international community doesn't say anything about it. Oh, Israel has the right to defend themselves. They're just attacking a sovereign nation you know, constantly over, you know, these arms shipments. And frankly, you know, go back. Why is Hezbollah a problem? It's because Israel invaded Lebanon in 1982 to attack Yasser Arafat and the Palestinians who, why were they refugees in Lebanon? Because the Israelis just stole their country and kicked them out of the country. And that's also why they were, um, you know, sponsoring terrorist attacks against them. Then they invaded Southern Lebanon and they stayed and they treated the local Shiite population in Southern Lebanon like, absolute garbage. And so then they created the party of God, as they called it, in response to that, to wage insurgency against their foreign Israeli occupying army. So, you know, 
those are the breaks. You know, that's it's purely a consequence of their policy uh, in the first place. And why haven't they figured out how to just make peace with Nasrallah this whole time? The the Hezbollah leader, you know, he's not completely. You know, he has a very close relationship with Iran, but he has an independent policy, too. And why can't they just make peace? They don't want to. You know, they rather fight. And if, as long as they have the Americans to intervene for them and, and protect them, then they can do whatever they want. Yeah. There was a uh, clip going around of uh, Trump at a campaign speech. And um, not that I necessarily believe him, but he said the right thing, as he has a tendency to do. He said, who's your enemy? It's not China. It's not Russia. It's our own elites. It was something to, to that degree. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I don't believe a word he's saying, but like, thank God he is saying that yeah. because, you well, know, the we first were. Time, you know, I saw where he, he goes, they're trying to say Russia is the greatest threat. Well, it's not. And you think he's going to say China. In fact, <laughs> I think he was going to say China. But then somehow, like, he just got it that that was going to fall flat in the room in the moment. It wasn't quite the right note. And so he goes, I'll tell you who it is. It's them in D.C. And and, and then he, he got the applause and he learned it. And then he repeated the line like, oh, this is it's not Russia. It's not China. It's them. So, yeah, I don't trust the guy either, but I sure do like hearing him talk like that. And then so back to your question about him and DeSantis. Um I think Trump's got a better chance against Biden than DeSantis does. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I think if DeSantis defeats Trump, the Trump voters are going to stay home. Do you really think so? Yeah. Actually, I, Donald Trump has yeah. quite a cult of personality about him. And for yeah. him, it's all personal. And it's all vendetta. And DeSantis is backstabbing him with a dagger and betraying him and daring to get between him and his people in any way means full vendetta. And so if Trump loses the primary to him, then he'll spend the rest of the time saying, you know, if you're, you know, the, the trans movement supports DeSantis or whatever he has to do, <laughs> right, like poison people against him yeah. or, or calling the hawk. And I think this is what I'm really looking forward to is Trump oh. pretending to be Ron Paul for the next year. Um, like he's been doing, never yeah. mind his record, um, and attacking every other Republican as a liberal globalist interventionist. The ones that he hired. Which is kind of right. But so from Trump's point of view, though, he's staking out this position um, just like he did on the border wall on and on the Iran deal. Oh, the Iran deal. I'm going to tear it right up. I hate the Iran deal more than anyone hates the Iran deal. Well, now nobody can say anything worse than that about it. You know what I mean? He already like cornered the market on hating the Iran deal, <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, now he can corner the market on, never mind what I did with the Iran deal. I'm the peacenik here and everyone else is a war hawk except me. And then let them defend it. Well, what is DeSantis going to do? Is he going to get up there and say, that's right. This guy is a wingnut isolationist and we need responsible George W. Bush type leadership to protect this country. Or is he going to say, nah, -uh, I also am peacenik and I disavow my advice to the Navy SEALs when they're killing people in Fallujah during the surge in 2007. And, and I, um, I hereby accuse the CIA of murdering those three guys that I helped them cover up the murder of those three guys at Guantanamo Bay in June of 2006. And I, and in fact, Benjamin Netanyahu can fight his own goddamn wars from now on. I mean, I want to hear it. And, and frankly, like Trump is such a hypocrite on this and especially on Israel that 
I mean, I'm just looking forward to the, to the entertainment value of like seeing the way that they stake these positions out. But now here's the thing about it, right? Is when Trump turned against the wars, he did it for very political reasons to smash Jeb Bush more than any other thing, right? But he brought the right with him when he did it. And here's the key. He was right. The wars were absolutely horrible. And he was essentially forcing the Republican right in America to face up to the unface up toolable early. You know, they might not have really gotten around to admitting that it was as bad as it was for many more years. And they weren't ready at the time. I mean, it was a shift. He went to South Carolina and was like, listen, the war was bogus. They lied to you in the war. It was horrible. And then the next day he won two thirds of the vote and all the rest of the candidates won one third of it or something like that. I think someone corrected me on those numbers one time, but it was still close to that something. He just creamed them. And it was impressive. Wow. This is 2016 primaries. Wow. Trump can get up there and just straight up denounce Jeb Bush and George W. Bush and the Iraq war to a room in the most militarized state in the union. And then the, the veterans in the room and everybody else have to choose. We either disavow everything that we believed up until yesterday and go with this guy, or we stick with W. Bush, who's not even in the race, and it's his loser brother Jeb who's going to lose anyway. And so, oh, well, F me, I guess I believe whatever Trump just said I believe now, and now I'm anti-war. But the thing of it is, he was right about how horrible the wars were. So now that he broke that ice for them and kicked that door in for them, well, guess what? They've all, the American right has done a really great job over the last few years of facing up to the truth of that. And we really never should have done that. They really did lie us into war. They didn't mean well. They tortured people to death. They're criminals. And they ruined this country. George W. Bush being as bad as he is is the only reason Barack Obama ever became the president, man. And and you, they had to admit it. He made them admit it, and it was right, though. So now the question is, you know, and I think they're to a degree, you know, genuinely disappointed with, um, well, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of spin, too. But I think they're genuinely disappointed that he was as much of a hawk as he was on some things. Um, although you do hear, and, and look, at least cut him some slack, give him half credit that they the the talking point is not that trump was the toughest sob the talking point is he didn't start any wars right. which is kind of a nice way of saying he kept yemen going and he kept afghanistan going and he kept our troops in syria and in iraq and he kept the special operations fighting all across north africa for the entire four years he was in power and he almost got us into a war with iran twice but he didn't start us any new wars you know what I mean? But like, it's still the spirit is in kind of the right place there. And so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see the social psychology going on for the next year when, because his statements lately have been so stark. I mean, the man speaks in such hyperbole all the time. So he comes out and just his statement from a few weeks ago, where he says the deep state, the CIA and the Pentagon and the state, wow, the, and the Pentagon, he said, and the State Department, everybody knows the State Department overthrew Ukraine twice. Like, what? Oh, my God. Like, wait, yes, I did know that. I'm not just saying what to the facts. I'm saying what? The President of the United States said that? The ex-President of the United States, but still. Um, you know, and he comes off and he's just going off, right? So, 
Um, now, we all know he can flip-flop on a dime. And and what his actual policy will look like if he's reelected is a whole other question. But what's it going to mean for the United States of America to have basically the most famous man who ever lived, who's again seeking the presidency for the Republican Party, talking this way about American foreign policy? What does it mean for the American right and for the American establishment and for the credibility of this entire imperial project? And especially when we're in such financial crisis, right? When in D.C., they don't feel it. They don't care. But in the rest of the country, the inflation is just kicking everybody's ass. And then we got inflation. We got an inflationary depression, right? We got the worst of both worlds right now. And just, you know, um, it. I would like to see a real revolt on the right where, you know, people are willing to tell DeSantis, go to hell, dude. Either either give a speech about how wrong you were about everything and how you're wrong, Paul, now. Or just go home, man. Go away. Because, I mean, the guy's got a really bad record. The whole time he was yeah. in Congress, he was a hawk on everything. You know, he went he, he went to Israel. I mean, is this, can you even do this? He went to Israel and signed a law for the state of Florida in Jerusalem mm -hmm. that said you're not allowed to protest against Israel on campus because that's anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. And this guy is... He might be worse than W. Bush in the sense that he could read a book. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he's not any wiser. He's not any better of a person. He's just as willing to see the U.S. military destroy people and countries. Might be more capable. Yeah, you know? I, I was told he voted against Syria, so that's hugely important. Even though he voted with Marco Rubio 99% of the time, that one vote is what we're supposed to look at him and say, wow, he's such a dove. Oh, that he voted for the AUMF on getting out of Syria? No, oh, no. no. Uh, he voted oh, against oh, regime change in Syria. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we're supposed to believe that he's a dove because of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, the fact is, yeah, and I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. He was in Congress then and not That's now. okay. Um, but um, – yeah, no, come on. The entire Republican Party got completely inundated. That victory goes to Stephen Bannon and Breitbart. Mm -hmm. And it was unanimous. And because Breitbart gave their marching orders to the entire American right at that time. We don't trust Barack Obama as our commander in chief. We don't care enough about the Syrians to go save them from the gas tax. So they weren't even debunking the gas attack. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, yeah, no, Assad did it. But we just don't care enough about the people of Syria to go yeah. help them whatever fine mm -hmm. and then it was unanimous i mean they got they said the calls were a thousand to one or whatever or thousand is nothing mm -hmm. on capitol hill and the entire american right was against that war and and um and then even obama himself made it known to the democratic leadership tell everyone vote your conscience in other words do not whip them do not demand that they vote for this thing i don't want it to pass i want you guys to kill this thing. So if that was Obama's message to the Democrats, don't make me do this stupid war I don't want to do, then no Republican gets credit for also opposing it. You know what I mean? Um, and that was, that was a particular circumstance because as you're saying before, Bannon's a China hawk. So oh, yeah. he could turn right around and, and whip all those people into shape to do the wrong thing somewhere else. But, you know, certainly in that case, um, you know, I'd like to see DeSantis' speech from why we shouldn't do it.
You know what I mean? If he gave a great speech about how Obama's got us back in the suicide bombers from the last war because he hates Iran more because that's what Israel wants, then okay, I'm interested. But I somehow doubt that that was his position. <laughs> yeah, I think you and me both. Uh, I know you're on a little bit of a time limit, so I want to get you out of here. Uh, what is your favorite of all the Dr. Peppers, Scott? Oh, just the plain old is what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> you mean like if it has vanilla or cherry in it at the Sonic or something? Did, did you uh, try any of the uh, the strawberries and cream or the vanilla or anything like that? No. Oh, man, you're missing out. The yeah. strawberries and cream one is pretty good. Did they have that? Yeah, it was recent that they announced that. Strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper? Huh. Yeah. I guess usually my wife does the grocery shopping, you know? <laughs> Might need to tell her to go pick some of that. Uh, yeah, she up didn't ask you. me about it. No, Matt, no, I don't think I want that. <laughs> Strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper? That doesn't sound good. It's it's shockingly pretty good. My wife and I were at Giant Eagle, and uh, we saw it, and I only drink diet stuff, and we were walking past. She's like, strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper diet? I'm like, what the fuck did you just say to me? And then we you know, went over and got some. But yeah, it's, it's good stuff. All right. I <laughs> guess maybe I'll give it a shot. <laughs> nice. All right, I'll, Scott. Uh, I'll have them put uh, vanilla in there sometimes at the Sonic. Or I guess I used two years ago. Yeah. No, I like the vanilla too. The uh, cream pop uh, Dr. Pepper is pretty good too. I like that stuff a lot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, where can everybody find you, brother? What do you got cool co um, coming up for you? Well, um, uh, I guess I'll, I didn't say I'm working on a Waco project. I won't say much more about it, but um, we'll be doing a thing about Waco here pretty soon. Nice. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a book about the cold war with Russia. It's, a, it's a, about 625 pages now and I'm not anywhere near done yet, but then I'm going to go back and cut, cut, cut and try to get it back down to something like a reasonable length. I don't know, but that's still a work in progress. It's good though. It's the enough already of this Russia stuff. All right. Um, and then otherwise, I got a great group of guys over at the Libertarian Institute and at antiwar.com. I wrote a few books and uh, edited a couple. And um, I'm almost at 5,900 interviews. And the 20th anniversary of the interview show will be um, oh, 13 days from now. Holy shit. So I'm going to fall short of 6,000. But I might, I might make it to, well, depending, no, this week I had only two interviews. So next week, uh, I don't know. There's a chance I'll get to 5,900 in time for the anniversary. I guess maybe not, but right around there. Um, and all that's at scotthorton.org. If people want to go check and see if I was right about everything in 2007, all the archives are there. <laughs> nice, Scott. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out. And uh, yeah, make sure everybody go check out your stuff because you and the boys over there um, are my go-to sources on literally everything. And I listen to Dave DeCamp's show every single morning, no matter what, mm -hmm. never absolutely miss an episode. And, uh, you know, keep uh, doing the good work out there. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share. And uh, Scott, if you've got anything else, we'll close her out. Nope, that's it. Just uh, scotthorton.org for all the stuff. Rock and roll, brother. Thanks. Thank you.